on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. This is the Orient Hour. I'm Steve Tung, and for this edition, as well as the regulars, Trevor Singfield and Karen Harrison, we're delighted to welcome in the studio Leighton Orient Director, former Chief Executive, and as of last night, match commentator once more, it's Mr Matt Porter. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, I hope, uh, hope, you, didn't, uh, hope you didn't expect to hear it more than once, because <laughs> I think I said that my closing line last night was, it's been 16 years since I've commentated on a game. And if that's what I've waited 16 years for, it'll be another 16 years until I do another one. So, one to forget, I think. No, it, it, well, you picked the wrong game, obviously, but it, it sounded uh, it sounded very good. Uh, it was well worth well worth the tenor for those of us who didn't make it to Boundary Park. And I think we have to say well done, certainly to uh, to Trevor and Karen who did. Uh, and well, I can't say you're regretting it, but it wasn't the right game, really, was it? Uh, what do you mean, right game, Steve? Um, <laughs> no, it was. We book to go to these games, how they perform and who starts on the, the, the 11. It, it doesn't really matter sometimes because we enjoy the, uh, the hospitality side of what we do in Manchester. So, um, and the fellas I was with and the young ladies as well, we all had a great time. I was going to say generally it's the two hours that give your liver a bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure uh, listeners would want us to say right at the start, uh, I get well soon to Dulcet Dave Victor, who had to miss the game, of course. Um, the reason that Matt was back holding the microphone was Dave had a, a positive COVID test, but he's told us today he's not feeling too bad. Uh, it certainly wasn't a bad game for him to miss if you had to pick one. In fact, he said first away game or home game that he'd missed since Barrow away in the National League, which is a, a good few years. So take it easy, Dave, and uh, all the very best. We know you'll, you'll be back behind the mic soon. So we will follow our normal pattern with two games to talk about, two very different games to review. Um, talking of Barrow, we'll start with that one before moving on to more general matters. So Saturday, uh, Leighton Orient 2, Barrow 0. Um, Trevor, we exchanged greetings at half-time and I think we were feeling OK at half-time and if we'd bumped into each other after the game, it would have been very broad smiles, wouldn't it? Yeah, broad smiles indeed, except I had to go check the goal out on YouTube because I am to miss it because my half-time cup of tea lasted a bit longer. So, um, yeah, but no, it was, it was a pleasing performance and it, it actually followed the, uh, the previous results that uh, we'd achieved and a bit of continu- continuity in the team and, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good. I quite enjoyed it. You missed the Smith goal? 
Yeah, I'm Mr. Smith goal, yeah. I, think, yeah so. I did see you walking down earlier, and actually the queues the queues were a lot longer in the Laurie Cunningham bar, weren't they, on Saturday? This is the problem with football for a fiver and these enormous 6,000 crowds. I thought I actually gave up so I could watch the walking footballers take their penalties at half-time, although I chickened out of, um, of doing that one myself. But, um, yes, I, I know I, I could see the problem. Um, Karen, what did you enjoy about the game? Well, you know, anybody that's loves football would love that Smith goal, wouldn't they? You know, I mean, it, everybody, I think, thought it was a, a cross or a, a missed kick or something. Next thing is, it's in the net. It's like, hang on a minute, what's happening there? So, yeah, and it's always nice to see a goal in the north. We don't see that many in front of the north. It always seems to be long-distance goals for us. Good point. And, of course, kick, yes, kicking your way in the first half, which uh, we always feel is not, not going to be um, not going to be so good. That that worked out well. Trev, I suppose if you, you look at Paul Smith uh, and just think if he'd started... Well, we've had 39 games. If he'd started, say, 35 of them or even 30 of them, um, you know, how good might it have been? Well, that's, that's, that's very true. But they've racked him in cotton wool at the start, didn't they, a little bit. But we'll never know. But I was surprised when I checked his age. He's still a very young footballer, isn't he? So he, he, if he stays around with us, he, I think he's still contracted, isn't he? Yes, yes. yes. So if he stays next year and... Uh, Richie gets the best out of him, then we, we should see more of the somersaults and, and goals like that. But I, I wouldn't mind him getting the odd tap in as well because uh, he has got the pace to get all over the pitch, hasn't he? And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's nice to see him. But my sister was a QPR fan, and he, he, when he played for them, and that's only in the top, well, the, well, the championship, she said that when he played there, he, but it was the same problem of not getting enough minutes on the pitch. Yes, no, and, and may well have been at Charlton too, although at Charlton's level he, he certainly looked very lively when, whenever I saw him there. And Matt, what was the mood upstairs? Did, did, did anybody dare say after Saturday, well, I think we're safe now? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think you know, it was good to follow up the, the previous home win with a, the with a second one. Obviously, it had been a barren spell at home, so for us to get the, uh, you know, the back-to-back home wins, I think, was really important and, and just kind of really dispel any lingering uh, you know fears of, of, of the bottom two because I think you know we've, we've pulled to ourselves to a position now where we're able to to perhaps look a little bit more longer term than, than we were a month ago when, when Richie came in and uh, you know and full credit to him and, and the staff for what they've achieved during that period but disappointing uh, that we weren't able to follow it up last night but I think there's been some green shoots of recovery and uh, you know long may they continue. People have been getting a little bit nervous upstairs because the very thought of going back into the National yeah. League would have been pretty horrendous. Yeah, I mean, a little bit nervous is the understatement of all time, Steve. I'm not sure any of us could have dealt with it a second time round. It's just, you, you don't even, even parking the football to one side, just looking at the, the whole club when it's in the National League in terms of its income streams, in terms of its ability to grow. It's very, very difficult. And look at the National League now in terms of the clubs who are up at the top of that of that league. I would say that's a harder league to get out of than League Two. Obviously, one fewer player, actually two fewer places. But regardless of that, the size of those clubs, most of them would be amongst the biggest five in League Two, let alone the biggest five in the National League. Yes, looking at the crowds that uh, that Stockport again in particular, and it looks as though Stockport will be visiting uh, the Brea Group Stadium next season. Just one point actually suddenly occurred about the lineup on Saturday. Um, six players arrived in the January transfer window, and and not one started on on Saturday. Was that from the board's point of view? Was it a particularly difficult transfer window? Yeah, I think it was a transfer window which we went into. Well, I mean, you, you don't start planning for the transfer window the day before it opens. You know, it's a long-term, it's a long-term situation. And if you'd have looked at it a month before the window opened, 
we were obviously in a very different position to what we were in, you know, the, the day the day it started. You know, we'd, we'd obviously had a, 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 an excellent run to the start of December and then a couple of poor results and a number of games called off. And then as the window went on, things went from bad to worse. Um, so situations changed and, and by bad to worse, I don't just mean results, I mean in terms of player availability. You know, we needed to bring in two players very late in the window to, to cover for injuries. Uh, there were some players who had been targeted further out but then others who had to come in at, at, at very short notice. So the thing with the transfer window is it very rarely ends in the way that it starts. It evolves during that during that month period, um, and you often get a domino effect of one transfer having a knock-on uh, impact on lots of other players, both at your club and at other clubs who might become available or or, or not available, as it were. So um, yeah, it's a it's a fast-moving situation. You don't always get exactly what you want. Sometimes you get something better. Sometimes you get something worse. Um, you know, and and. It's up to each player to go and prove whether they end up as a good signing or a bad signing. And from the, the board's point of view as well, more positively, perhaps I'm, I'm sure apart from all the, the relief and delight at the result on Saturday, often in the past we've had those bigger crowds in, 5,500, mm. 6,000, and not played very well. So it was just great. I think it was the second biggest gate of the season, just over 6,000. Um, great to send everybody home smiling. Yeah, once. it was. And you know, personally speaking, I was the master of getting those those offers wrong I think I went when I was CEO I think I went at least four seasons without winning when, when we did once I think we just gave up doing them in the end but um, no it was good it, you know you do you do get some fans in who don't come as frequently some who maybe come for the first time and the opportunity to turn those into more regular visitors and remind people perhaps that it's a, it's a good place to come and it can be an enjoyable enjoyable occasion on a Saturday afternoon so always great to get a win when you've, when you've got more people in than normal What, what are the economics of, of football for a fiver or kids for a quid or similar schemes and we do what two or three a season yeah I mean it generally you, you try and fit it around certain appropriate things maybe school holidays or a, a particular opponent or you know maybe even if you feel you, you wouldn't do it on a Tuesday night in November for example no. you know but you'd look for a, a Saturday where the weather might be a bit better and see you know if you, if you think that that might be a good opportunity to get perhaps more families in or or whatever it's, it's not great from a, a revenue perspective but it, you have to look more longer term than that and extra bits of, of catering and programmes and yeah, so on. Yeah, I mean, there, there isn't huge returns in, in that, but, it, but every little helps. You know, I mean, people are not spending £10 a head on average or anything like that when they come into the stadium, but you do get, you do get some increment, yeah. I do think that um, having these football for a fiver games when it's international break is an excellent idea because I do know that a lot of... Um, a lot of Premier League clubs, they will, um, their supporters will come over... And um, there's a there's a couple that are Arsenal supporters, and mm. they've really got the Ars uh, got the Leighton Orient bug, mm. and they're doing home and away with Leighton Orient. This yeah, season. I mean that's so, great. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good point. You know, works. the in the international break is a good opportunity for all lower league clubs to capitalise, and you know you get a little bit more media attention, a bit more in the spotlight, and as you say, Karen, you know you get some Premier League fans who perhaps a bit disillusioned by football at their level now, the cost of it, and and not feeling as engaged with their club as they'd like to be they get a chance to have a different experience at our level. Especially with Arsenal at the beginning of this season, they weren't particularly great, were they? So. No, they're good now. So <laughs> maybe those fans will go back. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly one of, one of the benefits as opposed to the downsides of having so many, so many bigger clubs around us. And, and finally, one that we have probably covered before, but just to reiterate, people are still surprised that they're told the game is sold out. 
and, and arrive and see those very big gaps and, yeah. and a crowd of 6,000, which is what, actually less than two-thirds of our capacity. Yeah, it's an eternal frustration for us, you know, because our season tickets are such good value, we do have a huge number of season ticket holders, over 4,000, you know, which in itself is almost 50% of the stadium capacity and over 50% of the home capacity of the stadium. Now, the capacity is 9,271. When you take away the, the 1,500 or so away seats, well, straight away, you had a lot of that was empty from the Barrow fans. You've got a couple of hundred on the old director's box, which acts as a segregation area in, in the middle. Uh, you know, then you do always get 25 to 33% of your season ticket holders, a quarter to a third, just don't turn up. You know, people often, and actually I spoke to a couple of fans after the game. And one said to me, yeah, I bought a season ticket for my daughter. She only comes three times a season. I said, well, you're part of the problem. Because either get her to come 15 times a season, 23 times a season, or don't buy a season ticket for her. You know, but, you know, we hear stories about people, because the season tickets are value, they will buy an extra one. And it, look, it, it works well for the club at the start of the season. Get, it helps with cash flow and the numbers are good. It sounds great when you go out and say you've got over 4,000 season tickets sold. But as the year goes on, if you do have games where you've got high demand, it can be can be a problem and you know it's, it's very very admin heavy to to do the the returns of tickets and you don't tend to get too many sales through through that route you know we'd need a, a very advanced system to do that smoothly um so it, it is a challenge yeah i do think that um when the season tickets a couple of years ago were the batches of actual tickets mm. and then if you weren't able to come you could give it to your friend that worked quite well um but then i can see that you know the, yeah. there's pros and cons around that but um, what I was going to say is I think a lot of people probably didn't come on um, Saturday because there was rail replacement coming in from Essex and there's problems on the M11. Yeah. And if you've only, I say, only paid a fiver for a ticket or you've paid £10 for two tickets, you think, well, actually, I might just write that off. Yeah, completely agree. So. Travel problems can have a huge impact. You know, obviously, we all know about the parking issues around the stadium. So if, 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 if the central line collapses on the day, then that can have a big impact. I think actually the family stand tends to be pretty full on those days, doesn't it? Especially if it's for a fiver or kids for a quid or whatever. It's, it's generally full, sort of the area where I sit anyway, so it's yeah. the same faces. And Trevor, just going back to the actual football briefly, I mean, one of the things I think with the change of manager is we're seeing, presumably you always expect that, that, that all players will at least attempt to make an improvement, but two players in particular who just didn't seem to get the time um, under Kenny Jackett were, were Ruel and Connor Wood, who I think has been outstanding in, under the new manager. Yeah, I've actually got a, sort of a question related to Connor Wood for, for Matt and a bit. But yeah, he's definitely uh, flourished in the, the last few games and lots of fans have thought he's been, you know, been man of the match a few times and he obviously had some great balance and Ashford Royal, that's a mystery to most audience fans in the clubs. Wherever you go before the game, that he, he doesn't get pitch time. I think there was some clever fans on Twitter were saying it's the first time he's played four, five, six games on the trot and you begin to see um, some benefits for it. And, uh, I know a lot of fans have uh, been having him as any time goal scorer and they're quite profitable for him. So, um, yeah, he's done well, but allegedly last night he's, he's carrying a knock as well. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done really well. I'm pleased for Rule and right, it's down to the, 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 the club to now trying to sign him on. I think cause he's one of the many players out of contract. But, yeah. yeah half a dozen, I think, we've got who we might talk about later. But, no, you're right um, that Rule's contract is up in the summer. 
So um, we came away from Barrow, um, having heard that Oldham had been beaten at home in the last minute by, by Mansfield, and we're now 15 points behind us, um, and Barrow struggling as well, and Stevenage. I suppose it, it took the pressure off the, the Oldham trip a bit. Um, Karen, you like to predict the lineup before the game, and I don't suppose you got it terribly right on Tuesday, did you? Funnily enough, I think I got six wrong. Yeah, so. <laughs> Well, some might say the manager got five wrong, but we we come to that in a minute. Of course, um, out were Adam Thompson, who was one of those who he did imply uh, had an, a slight injury problem. Um, Ogie Prattley, Theo Archibald, uh, they'd heard at four o'clock on Monday, um, had got an extra two-match suspension after his, um, his sending off. Um, and Aaron Drynan was out, who also may have had a, a slight knock and, and only came on later. So... Um, Khan came in at right back, then Ray, Coleman, Nublay and Harry Smith. Um, Trev, quite a debate among supporters about the lineup. Um, what was your take on it? Well, yeah, the debate was, I think, personally, uh, Wellens has bought enough goodwill from any supporters, the club, the lot, to have a look at what else he's, he's got to deal with. So that's the sort of one side of it. The downside may be... Oh, well, in hindsight, we know the result now. It is losing some kind of momentum of what we've gained because if you take that into the end of the season. So the to and fro on social media goes basically to that. But the manager bought the time to look at the players and he's the man in charge going forward and that's the most important thing. So if he doesn't fancy X, Y, Z players, he can say, go in there, I want them gone and this one and we go that way. So he's bought that and that stands for him and, and good luck to him. That's my personal opinion on it. At least he can say now that he's actually seen them play in a first-team competitive game and then if he says, look, sorry, I don't think you're going to cut it, he can turn around and say, well, no, look at yourself at Oldham. So. And they didn't do themselves any favours, did they? The likes of even Otis Khan, actually, who, funny, we brought in two right-backs in, in January, effectively. Maybe it's not his real position or his best position, but, but neither of them have, have, have looked like replacing Tom James, which is why we've had, a, effectively, a centre-half playing at right-back. Um, but the others, but Frank Nublay in particular, maybe George Ray, just as the manager said, quite openly, just didn't take the opportunity, did they? Well, no, they didn't. I think, also, um, Oldham... Fans set the, the tempo for their team very early. It was a brilliant atmosphere for yeah, it was what really they noisy, really it? created everything, you know. And, the, and their players, well, obviously, every told close us down. We thought after 65, 70 minutes, we should sort of get a better foot in the game, but we didn't. Anyway, that was disappointing from my point of view. But they were like absolutely everywhere for the whole evening, and it, we just didn't. It just didn't work. I mean, if. He's come out. I thought his uh, summing up of the game was brillant, to be honest. You know, what he come out and said, uh, Wellens. And like I say, like I said earlier in the conversation, he's earned that. And, and like Kevin said, he can point out to anybody now, well, no, you've had that chance, you haven't taken it. But the, the mood was there. I, did, I just think we, didn't, we weren't up for it. No, some reason. We, we, we definitely weren't up for it yesterday, but and like Trev says, it, was, it would have been really lovely to have like, carried on the momentum, get a little winning run together. It's, it's catch-22, isn't it? You know, I can see why he's changed them and had a look at them, but at the same time, I'm upset that he did. You know, I've come away from there thinking, oh, you know, why did I bother taking annual leave? Why have I travelled all the way up here? Why am I staying here? And everything. But at the same time, it's Lake Norian, and I love Lake Norian, and I'll do, and I'll do it again next week if I have to. 
Well, that's very noble after, uh, and, and, you know, well said. Uh, and, and the same, I'm sure, goes for over 200 supporters who, who paid a fair bit of money to go up there and either come back in the middle of the night or, um, or paid to stay over as well. Um, some felt they deserved to see the, the proper first team. The, anyone who hasn't heard the, the manager's interview yet, uh, as Trevor said, he was very honest after the game, um, admitted that it was a mistake in, in hindsight to make as many changes, although he picked out... Uh, those players who, who had little knocks and so on, um, was, was very honest that those coming in didn't do themselves justice. He said in particular the pressing and, and the energy was poor and I think that, that very much showed up that whereas we've been so strong pressing the opposition, uh, we just weren't doing that. That's one thing you've got to say about Richie, he'll come out and take it on the chin if he needs to, will not he? Yeah, so yeah. far he definitely has, hasn't he? You know, sorry, so far he definitely has. And came up with a phrase I'd not, not heard of it before, really, about snobbish football, which, which did occur to me. Actually, Matt, Matt mentioned in the, in the commentary, we were past it, you kept mentioning how George, uh, George Ray kept, kept uh, spending most of the night giving the ball to Beckles, who quite often had nothing moving for him at all and had to give it back to him. And there was a little spell, I don't know if you remember, in the first half, we must have made 20 passes and went perhaps, advanced perhaps 10 yards and, and almost certainly then came back again. It was a little bit, it reminded me a bit of a lot of last season's football with just passing it around almost for the sake of it. You did make that point in commentary about George Ray in particular. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think it's, you know, it's George had an unfortunate evening, obviously, with the own, own goal as well. And, and you know, it, as we said, nothing really worked last night, did it? You know, there were, there were the five changes and, you know, Richie's acknowledged that in his post-match interview, but... I do look at the bigger picture and I think it is important that he took the opportunity and it, the, the quote that I most took away from his post-match was one we, you know, we, we all know, you learn more in defeat than you do in victory and it's important for him, with greatest respect to Richie, whether we finish 12th or 22nd this year, it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference to him. What's going to make a difference to him is what we do next year and he needs to know whether the players that he's got at the club at the moment are the players he wants to take with him into next season or not. So you're going to see, I would expect, more changes, more different formations, and it won't be every game, but he will, I'm sure he will pick games where he will just try different things because, frankly, he needs to do that now rather than in August, September next year. The one that I really want him to go out with a proper first team and go all guns blazing is at Swindon and prove a point to him for himself. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so what is it, seven games left, of which I think four are away, but of course we're in the middle of a run of three away games where, where we've hardly shone. Uh, this season, Connor Wilkinson and, and Walsall wait you on Saturday, and then it's uh, Sutton who've, who've slipped a bit but are, are still eyeing the playoffs. Um, any thoughts on who we would like to see go down? I think it looks as though Scunthorpe are pretty dead, doesn't it, really? Yeah, not enough to be made of that. Um, I know you probably shouldn't say things like this, but I don't mind seeing the back of Scunthorpe. We've had a little bit of upset from them over the years. Um, personal choice, I'd probably rather see Stevenage go because of the, the the association of going to Northern away games is part of my, my hobby, like a lot of other people. So Barrow and Oldham are still there if you want to go. Don't go every year to these games, but you know, it's a nice when they come around and we go. So they're my personal choice. You've not been to Stockport for a while, I don't suppose? I've not been. Oh, no, so I think we went in a league game when England were playing the same day in Manchester, so we'd done a doubleheader. That was good. And I think that must be in the 90s. That was... Could have been even when they qualified for uh, 2002, something like that. But yeah, this is a good trip. We passed it on the train on the way home, and you think, oh, Edgley Park, got some good memories. I, I don't, I've got to be honest, I don't think I've seen us lose there. Excellent. But uh, it's so a good. My first ever football match that I attended live was at 
Edgeley Park, but it wasn't for Lake Norris. Oh, right. But it's a good story because, I mean, they didn't just go down the National League, Matt. They, they went a division lower, didn't yeah, they? They, they must have been trouble. in horrible yeah, trouble. Been, uh, quite a few of those sort of famous old clubs, look like at York as well, Darlington, you know, fallen out of the league and, and you know, and on bad times. But a lot of it stems from ownership, doesn't it? The Stockport seem to have good owners now that are, are turning them back into what they were before. Perhaps... I think they're in the championship probably not much more than a, a decade ago and that might be a, a step too far but nevertheless you would as you say expect to see them back in League 2 and maybe even League 1 before long Matt, yeah. what's, your, what's your thoughts on them flying to Eastleigh though I mean well, you're I talking the, a bit yeah, of money yeah I read their statement then about um, how they that was a commercial flight and they'd been away at Kings Lynn on the Tuesday so they hadn't got back to Stockport till the early hours of Wednesday and I think they just bought tickets on I don't know, some domestic airline or, or, that flew from Manchester to, to Southampton where Eastleigh is. So they made a claim for it on a commercial basis that they didn't hire a plane, they just bought tickets. Um, I don't think they tried to justify the carbon footprint though. <laughs> Good insight there because it is a topic of conversation amongst a lot of things. Forest Green Rovers will be after them if they, if they hear that anyway. <laughs> They're too busy cycling to their next game. <laughs> well, voted, voted the world's greenest club this week apparently, and if you notice that, and with Tottenham as runners-up apparently after their... Uh, after their new, with their new stadium, um, and we should say Matt how you how you enjoyed your um, your commentary experience. What what was it like compared to sixteen years ago? I did enjoy it actually. It has been a long time, and I was quite rusty. And I will say what I really saw, and I don't know if this was apparent from the away stand last night, but the LED boards on the far side, compared to the the uh, power of the floodlights, made it really difficult to make players out on the far mm. side. It took me a while to realise that it was actually the LED boards. At first I thought it was my eyes. Then I thought it was the fact <laughs> I didn't know who the olden players were. But actually I realised the glare from the LEDs. And I heard the same from fans who uh, at Forest Green the other week, which I didn't have the same feeling about because the stadium was a bit more open. But with all the, the roofs and the, the floodlights at Oldham weren't great, it was really difficult to make yeah, no, people out. I was going to say, we had the same problem at Forest Green last Last yeah. week or two weeks ago. Yeah, most fans are saying, hope Leighton Orient don't get them as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we do, we'll have to improve our floodlight. Well, you did well to pick out the own goal because our, our fans at the game were saying that, uh, that they were very um, confused about exactly what had got on. Well, what didn't help is um, if you stood at the back of the, back of the stand... The, uh, the roof actually came down and you couldn't actually see the goal area, could you? You couldn't, you couldn't see the crossbar. So it's a yeah, very strange setup. But it's one of those old stadiums, isn't it? So yeah, I didn't really understand why they didn't let you sit a bit nearer the front. Tucked away at the back. I guess, uh, to be fair, the atmosphere was phenomenal in there last night. That group of Oldham fans behind their goal with the Atletico's banner, they backed that team, considering their second bottom with owners they can't stand, they backed that team from start to finish and the team responded and, and as you said earlier, they, they created that energy from the first whistle and it might have been a thought, we'll keep the away fans out of sight and then they won't, you know, they won't be able to, to, to respond. Because yeah, generally we're noisy on a Tuesday night, but it just there was just nothing for us to make a no, noise about really, fair, so you no. know, if you don't give us no. anything to make a noise about, we're not going to do it are we? So. Well, let's broaden the discussion a bit um, then. In general, obviously, and last night's game notwithstanding, there, there is no doubt that, that Richie Wellens, backed up by Paul Terry and, of course, Matt Harold, who's still there and doing his bit, um, have had a very positive effect. Um, Matt, tell us a bit about the process of, of the appointment this time and, and what particular qualities you were looking for. So Richie was someone we first got to know back in the summer. Um, when he was quite open with us and said he was on the verge of getting the Doncaster Rovers job, but we still spoke to him about our job. And obviously his playing association with Doncaster and the fact they're a, 
division higher than us kind of made that an irrelevant conversation in the end because he was always going to take that job were he to be offered it and he was offered it so fair enough things obviously didn't work out for him there um, and he, he described taking that job as a, as a regret but regardless you know once it became apparent that we were looking to to change manager it was important to us that we evaluated the whole situation and it was a period of time when there was a lot of managerial changes you know I think Stephen Robinson went from Morecambe to St Mirren he was someone we'd spoken to last summer as well um, Derek Adams then had left Bradford went straight in to uh, to Morecambe there was a couple of others Michael Flynn went into Walsall uh, my memory's not as good as it was. But around that time, quite a few clubs were changing managers. So the landscape was, was a bit like I said with the January transfer window. The managerial landscape was evolving constantly as well. And every day somebody new was sacked, somebody new was available. And it was important for us that we were conscious we wanted to obviously get it right. So it's not... I, I did read people saying, just go and get him. Just go and start. Just go and... You can't just go and get... Oh, all right. Now, I will say, I did do that with Russell Slade and it worked. But that was just luck, I would guess. <laughs> Because you wouldn't advocate doing that as a, as a recruitment tactic for your manager. Just go and appoint him because of X. It's just not the way you, you, you could give yourself the best chance of it succeeding. So we talked to different people and, and it's not even about having a first choice. It's about having lots of choices, which you then pick your preferred one from. You know, I think it's quite naive to go into a process and say, he's our first choice, because then straight away... What, what if during the interview process someone else becomes better or he becomes worse? You know, you start to question the, the, you know, how, how things are panning out. So it was a case of looking at every situation, everyone who made themselves available, everybody who we wanted to see if they were available, and then narrow it down to who our preference was. And our preference unanimously and unquestionably was Richie. His personality impressed us. His, obviously, his pedigree with... Uh, Swindon impressed us, what he'd done as a player impressed us, what he's like as a person impressed us, the, re- the references we got on him from other people. We spoke to him in depth about Salford and Doncaster, two jobs that didn't go the way he wanted. He gave us you know, very good clarity on, on both of those positions and it was enough for us to understand, in our opinion, because all you can give is your opinion, why he, he was still the right man you know, for the job. So we saw, we saw a lot of things in him that we wanted to bring to the club in terms of engagement, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of passion. Um, and it was a decision that, that really was quite easy for us to make in the end. So that experience of, of our level and particularly in the fact that he he'd won our league and with the team playing very good mm. football was yeah, a big factor? There's a, we, we actually did. We've, we've got an excellent analyst, a guy called Joe Austin, who not many people will know because he's behind the scenes. But he did a really interesting piece of research about successful managers in League Two over the, the last five, six years or so. And the profile in terms of age, number of games managed, uh, style of play, Richie ticked more boxes than anybody else. So if you think we went from having three... In, in Ross, Carl Fletcher and Joby, and Joby, you know, it's, it's a bit harsh to put him in the same bracket because he was an interim during a period when there were no fans and he couldn't, he didn't have a window or anything like that. But ultimately, three people who led the team who were younger and inexperienced. And then we went to a guy who had 900 games and four promotions under his belt in Kenny. And kind of neither of those two scenarios had really panned out how we wanted. So we wanted to try and find out the model for success and you know Richie as I say has got success on his CV and fitted into the category of the overall style of manager that has had success at this level so really you sort of think well there's not there's not a huge number of other roads to go down and this was the road that we decided was was definitely the right road for us to go down and maybe I didn't say that quite right in terms of saying there's not many other roads for us to go down because it wasn't like we wanted to go down other roads my point is this was the road we chose 
I understand what you're saying about model for experience, but it, the, your experiences with, what is it, five or six managers now must also convince you that basically you just never know, do no, you? No, of course you never know. I mean, if you did, you'd go and pay a million pound a year to someone who you could guarantee, wouldn't you? But, you know, you, you're just never going to know if someone's going to be successful or not. And as well as all the stats, there's obviously a huge amount of environmental factors as well. It's got to be that, that person's got to be the right person for the club at the right time. Are they going to fit? Richie's got to move to the area. You know, he, he's, his family are based up north and he's, he's, he's living in a hotel at the moment, but he's, you know, he's obviously going to commit to finding somewhere to move down here. He's going to embrace the job. He's really going to throw himself into it. And that's the, the sort of attitude that we want. Um, but in line with that, you know, what if, he's, you know, any manager, if you lose your best six players through injury or diff- different things can happen. So you can never, you can never guarantee it, no. It was nice to see the uh, the board commit to giving him two and a half years as well because if he's going to move down here, he's not going to move, want to move down here with the one year old in. Yeah, if it's going to maybe not it doesn't happen. really. It, that's more perception than anything. If I'm brutally honest, because a one year rolling contract just essentially means you've always you 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 are going to get a twelve month payoff if you lose your job, and the club is going to be compensated by twelve months of your salary if somebody else takes you. So it, all that really dictates is the amount of money that is going to move when the manager moves either way downwards or upwards you know so this was a this was a fixed term contract but it's like when Alan Pardew got his eight-year contract at Newcastle United that was irrelevant it could have been an 88-year contract it was the clause that determined what happened when he wasn't the Newcastle United manager anymore that really counted I, I totally accept your point that it looks like a bigger step of of commitment but that doesn't mean we were any less committed to any of the other oh, managers no, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying but the, the other managers generally lived it within a de- decent enough yeah, area yeah, whereas yeah. Richie's family are up in Lancashire sure. yeah, it yeah, shows yeah. a bit of commitment yeah, yeah. and I can't remember whether we had you on the programme during the summer or not but I'm sure all the people we did hear from like Nigel Travis were I mean, they were thrilled. You were all thrilled to get mm. Kenny Jacket, weren't yeah. you? It seemed um, we were all exactly the same. I remember sitting in here and saying, what a great appointment this yeah, is. Yeah, and I think it would be difficult to find too many people who hand on heart could say, oh, we knew that was going to go wrong. You know, and it, what, because everybody was so excited <coughs> to get in a manager of Kenny's pedigree. And I'm not going to sit here and criticise him because ultimately he did his best and he lost a lot of players through injury. He's brought a lot of very talented players to the football club. And we saw a lot of matches in the first half of the season where we were wiping teams off the floor. You know, but nevertheless, it, it didn't develop in the way we wanted it to develop. And that was why we made the decision to make a change. Yeah, I think the last time we were together, which would mean on this programme, which would mean four weeks ago, uh, we picked up on a point which Nigel Travis had made in his programme notes um, when he talked about the new appointment and wanting greater engagement with the players, which mm-hmm. I was slightly surprised about. Can you enlighten us a bit on, on that just, I think you can see it for yourself when you look at when you look at the the way that pe- certain people conduct themselves. You know, it's, it's we, we are a club that likes to promote a positive spirit. We're a club that likes to have a good energy, a, you know, a family a family environment. And whether that's in the stands, in the training ground, in the office, in the community, you know, in every facet of of the way we operate, we want to be engaging. We want to be welcoming, inclusive, you know, and I think Richie's someone who really buys into that. You know, he referenced it when we were talking to him during the interview process. He talked about some of the community work he'd done at Swindon. He talked about some of the ways he's he's worked with getting fans who have, you know, when he's gone into jobs and the team's been in a bad state of play, he's getting the fans back on side and things like that. And he really gets that rather than just being completely focused on, on the Saturday three o'clock part of the job. Well, he definitely, he's definitely got the fans on side rapidly. I mean, that part, he, he definitely ticked the box in his interview there because 
the, the general consensus around a football club by everybody, virtually 90%, was doom and gloom in the, 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 the latter days of Kenny's uh, tenure, to be honest. And I think within sort of 10 days, Richie has really engage the fan base well, so you, you have to uh, doff your cap for that one. Yeah, and I don't think it's just the results either, because obviously results make you feel a bit happier and a bit brighter about it all as well. But it's, I think, like you say, it's his general demeanour and it, the way that he talks in his interviews when he's on YouTube. You know, you can tell a lot from body language and he looks really up for it. He looks like he's up for the fight. Presumably, um, Kenny Jackett had made it fairly clear in the play, uh, in his interviews about his sort of playing style. I mean, we knew we were going to expect a fairly direct style. Um, but it was interesting, there was a very interesting interview with Darren Prattley that people may have caught um, after the Barrow game, in, in which he more or less said that he thought we started off the season playing playing football, by which footballers tend to mean playing passing football. And then he mentioned the Harrogate game where we lost at home quite early on, got pretty much played off the park that day and, and thought that from then on, Darren was rather implying that we went almost too much direct style and, and maybe that's something which is slightly more easily found out even at this level. Yeah, perhaps, you know, and, and you know, one of the big things that we all look for is what somebody does when something starts going wrong in whatever the, in whatever they're doing. You know, <clears throat> anyone can have a really good plan A, but actually the people who really go on to achieve success are those that can that can turn things around. I seem to remember, and I can't remember specifically what it was, but I remember after we played Brackley in the FA Trophy uh, in the FA Trophy a few years ago, Justin changed some things, and it made a real impact on us. You know, and it's not an admission of failure to make a change. You know, it's an admission that. I need to do something different in order to continue being successful. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to see that, that you've, you've got the ability to make the second option work as well as the first option. What Justin Dunn, didn't he? He said he wanted to get the best players on the pitch. Is Brackley away? Mm. That, was, that was that moment. Yeah. And then, then we went on to just win the league, didn't we? So. But if you play... <clears throat> Excuse me, if you play plan A too many times, then you know, you're going to get found out because everybody's going to know what your plan A is. Yeah. So, so you have got to shake it up a bit. But don't forget, I mean, when we beat Swindon 4-1, I think that was the sixth time that we'd scored four or more at home in the first four months of the season. I think you'd have to look quite deep into the record books to see, to see that happening again. So it's easy to look at the January and February when things went wrong. But let's not forget, you know, Harry Smith, Aaron Drynan were scoring, Theo Archibald and Tom James were providing all sorts of you know, assists and, and chance opportunities. You know, we were, we were a good side in that, in that first half of the season. And it would be unfair on Kenny to, to discount that. You know, it was just when player availability changed, how that panned out. And we talked about the transfer window. I mean, we, I, would you say definitely that they were the players that Kenny wanted to bring 100%, in? Or, 100%. Yeah. And a lot's been made of the transfer committee. And I get that it sounds complicated and it sounds over overblown, but it, it really isn't. You know, essentially, it's a... it's. It's kind of like, in the, in the old days, in inverted commas, a manager would go to a board meeting and he'd say, Mr. Chairman, I really want to sign John Smith from FC whatever. And he'd say, how much would he cost? And he'd say, this much. And he'd say, oh, I can't afford it. So I, I'll go and get him from him instead. And that was how it used to work in the old days. It's a lot more evolved now. You know, we've got scouts, we've got analysts. And we have, we, we have conversations about players. But the, the player recruitment is driven and led by the football management and the football manager. You know, Martin doesn't make the decisions over what players to sign. I'll tell you the transfer window that Martin signed the players. Summer of 2017. The very first one. And he signed the squad that won the National League the year yeah. after. Yeah. He then signed Lawrence Vigarou, Danny Johnson and Dan Kemp during the, 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 the 2020 season. You know, so it's kind of like Martin's getting a lot of the stick here 
But all he's doing is carrying out the requirements of the manager. The manager picks the players. He uses the scouts. He uses the analysts to help him decide which players he wants. And then Martin makes the, the, the budget side of it work. You know, now, our, our invo- there's three or four of us directors on, on that uh, group. And we have an input in terms of can we afford him. And we, and we check and balance it. You know, what's his, what's his char- we ask questions. What's his character like? What's his injury record like? Will he relocate to London? Is he a family man? Is he, you know, we've heard this about him. So-and-so at this club told us this about him. And we ask the questions. And if the answers that come back are the right answers, and the manager wants to sign the player, and we can afford the player, we sign the player. And every single player who is at the football club is a player who, at any given time, the manager has selected or wants to be there. If it's a player that he's inherited from his predecessor, it's a player he still wants to be there. Not necessarily his six first choices. I mean, I assume some supporters no, might think, "Oh, Kenny Jacket wanted the six players that we bought." Yeah, well, I mean, you, you never get you never get all your first choices. You know, I mean, look. To be fair to George Ray and Frank Nublar, and I'm passing no comment on their contribution as footballers. They were signed on the last day of the transfer window because we got injuries late on in January, and Paul Smith and, and Dan Happy. So ultimately, you have to go and sign somebody to replace those, and you don't get your first choice with with, with a day to go of the transfer window. But, you know, a lot of the other players are players who've been identified and selected well in advance. You know, Dan Moss was ready to be brought in before the transfer window opened. He was on loan at Yeovil and there had to be some... Yeovil had to cancel the loan and send him back to Millwall. But he was the player who Kenny decided he wanted to replace Tom James. Now, for whatever reason, Dan hasn't gone on to have many minutes for us. And I feel for him because he's a young lad and he'd actually probably be better off still at Yeovil playing football than he would be just wearing a tracksuit for us. But hopefully he gets the chance to play before the end of the season and, and show what he can do. But regardless of that, the, you know, the, the overall point is that the manager selected the players. Yeah, sure. And so of all the managerial appointments you've been involved in, have, have you been able to decide now what are the most important factors? For me, I'm le- I've learned really that character is, is really important. You know, I, I, I'm not qualified enough to sit there and make an assessment on somebody's tactics, style of play, for the preferred formation you know that ultimately is something that they will be judged on as a, a coach stroke manager but what I can make a judgment on and you know that is, again it's only a personal judgment and the board make a collective decision is what I feel they'll be like as a person you know I my first manager that I really worked with was was sort of Tommy Taylor who had who had a personality, you know, whether you liked him or not, he had a personality, you know. The, then the next successful manager I worked with was Martin Ling, who had a personality. The next successful manager I worked with was Russell Slade, who had a personality. The next successful manager I worked with was Justin Edinburgh, who had a personality. Now, the, there's a, there's, it can't be a coincidence that in the 20-odd years I've been working at the football club, the managers who have achieved success are managers who have been engaging, who have been proactive, who have been positive, who have been... Who, who've, seen the, the bigger picture of what the club is and what it means to people and how they can bring the best out of people. You know, they were the masters. That extra 5%, it's all margins. If you can get that extra 5% out of a group of people, regardless of their talent, you're going to achieve more than you should do. Where did you pick Russell Slade up from? Where? Yes. Was he... Well, he was, he was out of work. Right. But he'd done a, a survival job with Brighton the previous year. Oh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. he... he, he uh, yeah, it was it was a logical choice. We had six games to go. We didn't have long to make a decision, so we, yeah, we had five minutes, you know. came, <laughs> and it came worked. In, came in after the Southampton game, didn't it? That's right. He watched yeah. the he watched the Southampton game. I phoned him after the game. I'm sure I'll sure do this one during lockdown. I phoned him after the game. I said, "Have you left yet?" 
He said, no. I said, right, I'll meet you in the car park. Went out to the car park. I said, we've got six games left. It's this much money for doing the job and this much money if you keep us up. Do you want it or not? And he said, I'll let you know. I said, no, I haven't got time. You've got to tell me now. He said, all right, I'll do it. And then that was it. That was the sum total of the recruitment of Russell Slade. Good work. Good work. Well, there's a few people who, who thank you for that. And Karen, I noticed the picnic crew has, uh, has happily sponsored the new manager, as you did with the old one. But you're probably expect, hoping for a bit more interaction, I suspect, for your, for your money. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be nice to meet up with him at some stage. Um, we did get to meet Kenny um, before one of the games. I can't remember which one, but it was a home game. We managed to... Uh, pa was very facilitating in trying to arrange something for us. I'm glad that we managed to get that because at least we can say that we did meet him. Um, but, yeah, no, we've been sponsoring the manager since Rossi's days. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll carry it on. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, you, Matt, a lot of the things you've said are, um, are, were reflected when we had Mark Devlin on the programme. Um, it came on recently and, and spoke very openly and very frankly. Um, were you part of the interview process with him as yeah, well? Yeah, Mark's someone I've known for a long time. You know, the, the, he was Brentford chief exec when I was the, the Orient uh, equivalent. And he's someone who's got a very, very good reputation in the Football League. He's, he's worked at a lot of clubs, had success at a lot of clubs. He's a very, very capable uh, chief exec with a very, very uh, solid outlook. He, he, there's not many circumstances he won't have been through. You know, he's done different things in terms of training ground development, stadium development, commercial development, you know, community, any, any, any aspect of the role he's, he's, he's been through himself. And he's, uh, he's someone who's, you know, uh, just going to be a good fit for us. If you look for character in a manager, is that is that something in a chief exec or a bit less important? No, absolutely, as important. I mean, you've you've got to people have got. It doesn't matter what your job is, whether you're football manager or, or whatever. People if people are working for you. They've got to want to work for you. They've got to want to turn up in the morning and do their best for you and and deliver their best for the company. And only the person at the top can really drive that that agenda and that um, that mentality. And Mark's the sort of person he will he will give people the freedom to do their to do their jobs. He will guide them. He will help them. Uh, you know, he will tell them where they're going right, where they're going wrong, and he will he will make them feel that they're enjoying their work. And by the way, that isn't to say that Danny wasn't wasn't the same. By the way, I'm just commenting no. purely on Mark on this occasion. Well, it's particularly interesting to hear about his time at Brentford. I, I had to look it up and was slightly surprised to see it. It was actually eight years ago when we were looking down mm. on Brentford. You remember that famous start to the season yeah. with eight successive wins. The eighth game was mm. the, the famous 2-0 win at Griffin Park. And I checked the attendances. I mean, they, they were a little bit above us at that stage. They were getting about 7,500. We were getting 5,500. Mm. So the clubs were, were comparable on many levels. Um, so I suppose it's quite inspiring for us in a way, even if a lot of our supporters don't like Brentford to see what they've done isn't it yeah I mean I always used to gauges against two clubs Brentford and Southend right you know what I was geographically relatively equidistant either way and I would look at and see where we were in comparison to those two clubs and it's funny how it evolves over time isn't it because when we were in the National League Southend were, were two divisions higher than us and now that that's changed but Brentford's tra trajectory has been only upwards in in that meantime they've, they've got a very wealthy owner they've invested in a fantastic new stadium and they've gone down a very determined route in their football strategy which has you know paid off for them the B team was very interesting when they brought that in and a couple of other clubs have copied that since um, and you know fair play to them they're, they're reaping the, the rewards for, for their for their strategies and drop the academy effectively isn't they so do they just yeah. not get youth players in at all how does that work no they just, are they just recruit released players from from the uh, you know from other clubs so they don't have nine-year-olds ten-year-olds eleven-year-olds etc like we do um, you know they will they will have young professionals um, 
We were signed. We're actually playing a friendly against Brentford B. I think next week, and they go around playing playing games. They go on tours. They go and play overseas. It sounds like, you know, um, quite an interesting strategy. So we will play what an effectively an under twenty one team against. Yeah, them or something. I think it's just a case of giving some game time. I mean, don't forget a lot of the young lads. There's there's no combination anymore. So you know a lot of the young lads who are in between people like Sam Sargent, Jaden Sweeney, they've just not had minutes. You know because of COVID, there was no reserve football. I don't think the, we we entered the London Cup. I don't know. If, I don't think it took place or we had to pull out or whatever. You know there was just no, there's just been no opportunity for those lads who haven't been able to get out on loan to to play games. So it's 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 a uh, you know another good chance for them to play in front of Richie. It's and a shame because there's another player as well, Dan Nkrumah, and yeah. I thought he was brilliant pre-season, mm. and he, you know, he hasn't had the chance really to no, shine. He's, he's but you know, I mean, I'm sure it'll come over time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, Nick Semica, um, I've got his name right. I hope in Saturday's match program was talking about where the board see the club going, and and talking about. I think he said an ambitious club competing at the top of League One. Is yeah. that is that sound right? Yeah, I mean, that's where we want to get back to. It's a position we know we can achieve. But the club hasn't been in the second tier of English football for 40 years now. I think 1982. Is it that long? You know, so, yeah. So <laughs> I think you remember it, Steve. Just I about, do, I'm but, afraid. Um, the, Sadly, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, look, it's not something we could... We, we can't just sit here and say, yeah, we're a championship club. You know, there's, there's pointless. We, we, you know... The, some people might say, oh, you're not ambitious enough, but we're not saying we don't want to get to the championship. But what we're saying is we see ourselves as being a top end of League One club who has the ability to push on to the championship. And that's what we kind of were in, in 2014. Mm-hmm. So that's something we know in the recent past that we have achieved. We've got the same or more and better infrastructure now. Um, so ultimately, it's a question of us delivering that. I wonder if that's partly because the championship itself has changed a bit. I mean, even in Trevor will remember, because when he started, um, we were a championship side, but we weren't getting big gates, were we, compared to the rest of the championship? But you still still survived on whatever, 8,000 or 7,000, and then the London clubs came and we got a big gate or whatever. But uh, um, now you look at some of the championship um, clubs and and even some of the League One clubs and the gates they get, it's made it a lot harder to stay there. One thing I would say, and Matt probably like this, I actually think now we have got a bigger fan base than what we probably did have sort of percentage-wise back in the old second mm. division because in the dark days of going down from there to obviously then down the old three and four, we were 2000s and I think it was the terrible 1700 versus Halifax. And so over the period of time, we have built that up. So if we did get to the top end of League One, I could see us with... Like, Getting the 7,000, I think that's sort of one of the figures uh, Mr. Travis has in his mind. Yeah. And one other question, if chiefly ask, uh, uh, Matt, just about uh, Mark Devlin. Um, on his CV, he has got moving a stadium. Do you think, because we know it takes about seven years to move stadium, is that one of the reasons he was brought in? No, that wasn't one of the reasons he was brought in, no. I mean, I think it would be it would be naive of us to say if we wanted to be a championship club, could the current stadium could the current stadium cope with that? You know, perhaps not. You know, it's 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 limited by its capacity, nine thousand two seven one, as I said before. You know, can it cope with League One? Absolutely. You know, so that's a that's a decision we'll make in in time. More probably more relevant would be the training ground development that Mark did when he was at Brentford. You know, that's something that Marshall Taylor, one of our board members, is working on at the moment uh, with with Mark. Um, you know, we're looking to see can we find 
a single site that we can develop or a site that can that can incorporate more facets of the club in one you know in one under one roof you know the first team have got relatively decent facility in Chigwell the academy is a bit less satisfactory if you like where they are at the moment there's the women's team to incorporate into it as well now so you know one of the one of the more key projects I think for, for the time being away from the day-to-day operations would be what we do with our training ground over the the medium term more so than the stadium. Okay thanks for that. Thank you. You think it has to be a new a new site rather than... Well Chigwell, the Chigwell school site we use at the moment is rented and there's development limitations because it's greenbelt land etc so uh, I think there's certain things we could do there but it would be a site we didn't own so then we'd have to invest in somebody else's property if you like you know whether, whether that's something we want to do whether that's uh, the right thing for us to do is something that we're evaluating at the moment. And I think Mark said that he was basically having a look at all aspects of the club and would come up with a sort of 100-day review yeah. of three months or something. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, he's coming in, in February. The season's three months to go before the end. Uh, sadly, no playoff extension looking likely. So he, he will have the opportunity when it gets to May to say, I've been here for three months, this is what I think. And because he's got an experienced pair of eyes... He'll be able to make those judgments over that period, and and there'll be recommendations that you know that we can we can act on. And and planning, I'm sure, has already begun for the summer. Um, whenever we hear from anybody on the on the um, the playing side or involved with recruitment, they always talk about how quickly recruitment starts after a transfer mm. window. But it's quite difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, we mentioned uh, Rule Satirio as one of. I've I've only got half a dozen names of of people whose contracts are up. It's not as bad as last season, but it's still quite difficult, especially with a new manager coming in and deciding, as per last night, who who he wants. Uh, and who he doesn't want to keep. Yeah, I mean, you look, you, you don't, you, you sometimes would be would be working more than one window ahead if there was someone you particularly knew who you knew, uh, whose contract was going to come to an end who you particularly liked. Um, and sometimes you can move players on who are in contract. You know, who say we moved on last summer. He had a year left on his contract, so it's not beyond the realms of, of possibility that uh, that that sort of thing could happen as well. It's ultimately going to be Rich, Richie's decision, and that's you know the beauty, if you like of a 2-0 defeat at Oldham that he can learn things about he can learn things about people and whether they're good or bad things he can learn them and but you know make those decisions um so we can move as he wants us to once the the ability to sign players is there again and and can we assume that with someone like Theo who is on loan um that the efforts might have been made already or are you able to talk to an exist an existing club about that or not yeah i mean you can talk you know you can talk to you can talk to clubs you, you generally have loan players for one of two different reasons one is it's a player out of favor like Theo was at at, at Lincoln or one is it's a young player who the club is looking to develop like Alex Mitchell has been from from Millwall and I think Alex had a pretty good first half of the season with us obviously he's been out for injury but I think he's back in in training now so you, you've probably got a better chance of signing somebody like Theo if Lincoln don't see him as part of their plans whereas a young lad who Millwall might say well we'll have a we'll, we might not see him in our first team next year but we may want him to go on loan a bit higher or we may want to have him in, in and around our first team squad and then you know so then you lose them. Alex Mitchell's back in training, I think we've heard, haven't we? Yes. 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 Yeah, correct. Yeah. That's good, because I think we've really missed him. Yeah, no, that's the case. Um, so, Warsaw on Saturday, where you will no doubt be heading again. Will you be reasonably optimistic? And oh, then... it's my birthday, Bash. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> they better not let you down, Kerry. <laughs> but I how... say my age, but if you win by that score, I'll be very happy. <laughs> well, they are one of those... I mean, they're literally one place above us, I think, in the table now. Um, uh, 
one of the disappointing things about last night was we, we did have the opportunity to go up about three places, but stuck in 17th. So we will hope that, uh, that Connor Wilkinson perhaps isn't too hard on us. He's been knocking in a few goals, I think. Um, we're running out of time. Um, anything else? Uh, Matt, there was something, uh, a couple of things that Luke has been, Luke Lamborn, the media officer, has been tweeting about in, in uh, the week. One was a focus group. He was looking for people to join a focus group, which I think has all been sorted out now. Do you know what, uh, what that's about? Yeah, I mean, look, the, you know, the, they're always evaluating every aspect of the club's operation just to make sure. And I know fans don't like it, and I get why, when everything sounds very commercial and very corporate, and I get that. But ultimately, the business has to operate as a business. It has to increase its revenue streams. It has to make sure that its its costs are under control. So it's important to engage with the people who the club's kind of reliant on for those things because if it doesn't do things right by its fans, then the fans won't spend any money with it. Now, again, I don't want that to sound too cold, but it is the reality. It is the reality of life in, in, in the lower divisions of football. You need your fans to be on side. You need them to feel that they're part of the club, that they're appreciated by the club, and, and people are. And obviously when results go badly, there becomes a bit more of a gap between the club and the fan base because you know people can't you know it's frustrating isn't it it's really annoying and you, you feel like you're giving up time and spending money and you're not getting anything back and we're we're not orient fans we're not born to expect trophies every year but we like to see some effort and we like to see some the odd the odd win every now and again to send us home happy you know so when that when that goes away it becomes a really tricky time and we're you know the club's going through a process now of re-engagement we've got a new ceo we've got a new manager you know, we've got a new season not that long ahead. We're obviously going to have to go on sale with season tickets relatively soon. And it's important for us that people feel that they're part of that journey back towards League One with us. So, you know, this, the kind of work that Luke and, and his media and, and the commercial team will be doing will be to make sure that the things that we're doing will, will hit the right note with the fan base. Good. And you said he was looking for a, a news of a couple of Orient fans who perhaps deserve some recognition, who've had a particularly tough year or done something particularly in the community. Yeah, I know what that's about and I don't want to steal his thunder on that. But that, okay. that'll be nice when that comes up. Good, good. Uh, Karen, anything else as our supporters liaison officer? that I can think of um, but with my supporters club hat on there's always the coach to Walsall if people are interested they can get in touch with Malcolm on the travel line the details are on the Orient supporters website which is orientsupporters.org so do give that a look um, there isn't a coach for Sutton because you can get there on a travel card it's in zone 5 so it, it's it's not worth us running the coach. So My Freedom Pass will get me nearly there, will it? That's very <laughs> That's good it, news. Yeah. We're out of time. Huge thanks to Matt Porter coming out to Brentwood after that long night in Oldham. And the same, of course, for Trevor and Kerren. And well done to all the 207 other loyalists who made it. Thanks to Andy Gilson for pushing the buttons. Andy, I believe, will be in the chair next week. Until which time, up the O's. We're not a city, we're not a town. We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the rest Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orion from each end Lay an Orion from each end this is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We were formed in 1881 
plants in Oregon and so begun The old story and on it runs We're late and Orient from E10 Whatever challenge has come our way The only faithful are here to stay We will live to fight another day We're late and Orient from E10 Late and Orient from E10 this is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We're not a city, we're not a town We're the only one of us around So get nowhere we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the vest